Welcome to a pause and disgust episode of Simulcast. This one's about translational simulation, which is my take on how we should use in situ sim as a quality improvement tool in our health services and our hospitals. This came about after a breakfast meeting at which I was a speaker with the Australasian College of Health Service Managers. It was a really interesting meeting for me. Normally I'm speaking with clinicians, educators and those of us that provide SIM. But in this case I was talking to the managers who we're often going to for money or resources or permission to do SIM. So I got a lot of interesting questions. I got a few useful tips. But I also saw a lot of enthusiasm for these same managers to think about how they can use SIM to improve their health care and the experience of patients. After the meeting, I was interviewed by a lovely fellow by the name of Anthony Frangi, who works for a group called Pop-Up Radio. They do short interviews after things like talks or conferences, which they then publish on websites to profile meetings or conferences. So I learned a little about podcasting from Anthony, and I'm also very grateful to him for allowing us to reproduce his interview here. So, happy listening, thinking about translational simulation. My name is Victoria Brazel and I'm the Professor of Emergency Medicine at Bond University and also at the Gold Coast Health Service. So I spend my time between some clinical emergency medicine as well as doing education for medical students, trainees in emergency medicine and increasingly some quality improvement at the hospital. How is translational simulation helping in the, in the area of health and health care? Well, the reason that we use the term translational simulation is really paralleling the translational research term, which is bench to bedside. And we would like to think we're doing a similar thing, which is taking what has been used as an educational modality and taking it into the health service and delivering simulation in situ with a view to improving the processes of care, the efficiency of care, safety of care, by actually getting real teams in their real environment to do their real work, albeit with a simulated patient. And then further, getting the chance to have a reflective conversation afterwards, which allows the healthcare providers to really think about how their patient journeys go and what they can do to improve them. So in terms of the kinds of things that we've done, uh, we particularly worked with the trauma service and we target specific things we want to improve. Things like speed, so our time for getting the ill trauma patient to the CT scanner or to the operating theatre, but also perhaps things we don't think as much of, like how do we know who we are in the trauma room? Do we get some labels so that we can rapidly identify who's got what role, which is really important in a crisis? So I think we work on a number of aspects of care, and we're really directed by the clinical services in that regard, and we're more the modality experts. And how should we be thinking about simulation? I think we should be thinking about it as a service. Uh, Obviously simulation will have a role in educational institutions and in wearing my bond hat we use sim as a way of teaching medical students. But I think at the health service we should be thinking about it as a quality improvement tool. It should be one of a number of things that we use to examine diagnose problems in the health service and also to improve them, target them, embed new protocols, uh, test out new equipment, but in a very authentic way where we've got the real providers in their real environment and maybe this piece of equipment we're just seeing, does it help, does it harm, what are the human factors involved in the interface? And in your experience, how has it improved the the patient experience? Yeah, well, so we do some specific things related to patient experience. Sometimes we actually 
capture that using things like GoPro cameras fitted to the patient's chest. Sometimes we do that uh, by putting the GoPro cameras on the family member but trying to capture the patient experience in a variety of ways that sometimes the providers find surprising. We also sometimes use actors in our simulations and they are able to give direct feedback to what their experience of the care journey was. So I think it's really about holding up a mirror and for us being able to get a perspective that we don't normally get when we're of course looking from our provider viewpoint. So a couple of things we've done is literally changing simple things like the place where patients wait to get their treatment because um, of concerns around what's happening ahead of them. Uh, we've changed some things in terms of how we position our patients and uh, how we move them around the hospital but I think we've got a long way to go. How do you measure its success? When do you decide that change is for the better? Some of that measurement is easy. So when we've got time-based targets like how fast can you get to cath lab or how fast can you get up to the NGO suite, that's kind of easy. But my interest is really and my heart is really in knowing that all of those targets are achieved when we have better relationships between the teams involved in the healthcare journey. And that is quite difficult to measure. So I think the downside of trying to measure quantitative metrics is sometimes we ignore the really important things. And I know that we go faster getting to cath lab because we start to trust the paramedics when they ring us and say, this patient really is having a heart attack. And then we ring the cardiologists and say, you know what? sounds like they've got the real thing there why don't you start getting the cath lab ready and so we can streamline processes through parallel processing instead of sequential processing and that parallel processing is only possible when you have trust and you only build trust by actually doing things like these exercises together learning people's names uh, fleshing out discussions around roles thinking about what's important in that patient journey and what's Australia's role in advancing simulation, say, on a global scale? There are a number of places around the world that do this kind of translational simulation. I think we're certainly not alone. There's places in the US, the UK, parts of Europe, uh, South America that are doing similar things. I think our role is, again, to be yet another test bed to think about what is the template for coming in and being a simulation service and being able to give good advice to healthcare uh, managers and to health services about our role in the quality improvement because there's no doubt there's parts of it that aren't suitable for simulation and that's part of our job too. So I think in terms of what's Australia's role I think some of it's about contributing to the research agenda, some of it is about just doing it and some of it is about demonstrating what we can achieve in terms of patient outcomes and patient experience uh, and adding to that body of literature and body of experience that helps us know how best to go forwards. In terms of the various departments that make up health and healthcare. Has it been endorsed, embraced by all departments or are there still some challenges ahead for simulation? Oh, look, I think probably the biggest challenge is just people not seeing how it can help them. And, and believe me, there's no doubt many processes that it's not relevant to. It's no surprise that groups like anaesthesia and emergency medicine have been early adopters because they've probably been involved in simulation for a lot of years. 
places like midwifery are the same, uh, ambulance services. But I think increasingly we're pushing the boundaries within the hospital because we're looking at what might seem like really boring interfaces, but they make a big difference to patient journeys and patient experience. So I think um, I'm not sure that there's so much out-and-out resistance, just sometimes there's not an understanding of how it might help. And my view about that is we just sort of chip away and we give good advice to people about how we can help or, or how might be alternatives for them to look to for their quality improvement. And what changes can we expect in simulation over the next five to ten years? And this is a great question because it appeals to my tech interest. I think already we've had a lot of things that have made my job a lot easier. Things like capturing that audio-visual experience of a patient or being able to stream a simulated experience into a debrief room, just Wi-Fi has helped that. Uh, just these small cameras that capture audio-visual material. I think we'll continue to see advances in mannequin technology so increasingly the fake patients will look more and more like the real patients in terms of the material science the touch and feel of um, the patient's skin the ease by which we can control various aspects of the physiology of the mannequin and that's just been an incremental journey uh, we've also learned a lot now from uh, virtual reality. I think we'll have more opportunity to create three-dimensional simulations where we don't need to be. We can totally recreate our environment. We're doing a little project like this right now where we've done some 360-degree camera filming in our resus bay, and we're actually creating a virtual experience for our nurses to go through an orientation where they have to simulate preparing for an eight-year-old with a head injury arriving in our resuscitation room. But we can do that without having to actually use the resuscitation room so it's very interesting Anthony we're learning a lot of these lessons from other industries and uh, gaming is one of them massive industry and uh, it teaches us a lot of this about screen-based technology and VR uh, and the other industry that has helped with this is pornography and I'll leave you to think about how that's been helpful. Professor Victoria Brazel thanks for joining us. Thanks very much.